All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm talking to you from New York City on this, the 20th day of April, 2021. We have a very busy schedule today, so we need to jump right into our show. But I do need to first mention today's sponsors, because without them, there would be no show. Our sponsors for today are Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp., LOL Resources, Irving Resources, Hannon Metals, Great Bear Resources, Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp., and Firefox Gold. I've titled today's show, America's Economic Decline and Rising Geopolitical Tensions. John Rubino and Dr. Quentin Henning return as guests. America's economic, social, and spiritual decline is well recognized, apart from Marxists within our far-left political spectrum who are cheering it on. U.S. debt is growing exponentially and can't be ethically serviced without high interest rates that will inevitably send our markets and, by extension, our economy into a deflationary depression, some think as bad or worse than the 1930s. The Fed and other central banks swear they can avoid a return to the 1930s-style deflationary depression by engaging in modern monetary theory, which they claim is a new breakthrough in monetary policy. But alas, there is nothing new about modern monetary theory. As Alastair McLeod has pointed out on this show several times in the past, what amounts to modern monetary theory was tried back in the 1718 to 1720 timeframe by Scottish economist John Law in what has come to be known as the Mississippi bubble. For a while, people seemed to be getting extremely rich by engaging that particular scheme, but it ended in financial collapse and bankruptcy and ultimate shame for John Law, who had to leave France to avoid prison or worse. So history tells us that irresponsible monetary policy like the Fed has been engaging in since 1971, increasingly so I might add, that that always results in an illusion of wealth for a period of time, but when money creation becomes an addiction and a substitution for real capital formation instead of savings, the ultimate end, not just for individuals, but for nations, ends up being tragic. And when nations get into trouble financially, they often try to distract their citizens by engaging in foreign wars. There are some very reasonable concerns that Washington may now be moving towards conflict with Russia over the Ukraine or China over Taiwan. When John Rubino joins me in the second half of today's show, we will discuss market fragility as well as geopolitical concerns and what all that might mean for how we should invest in our our savings uh, at this point in time. In the second segment of today's show, right after our first commercial break, Dr. Quentin Henning 
will update us on SK Mining's very exciting precious metals rich VMS discovery located next door to the famous SK Creek mine in British Columbia. Now that has been one of the richest mines in Canadian history. SK Mining's discovery has all the earmarks of another SK Creek style VMS deposit. So I can't wait to hear what Dr. Henning uh, has to say with regard to the uh, uh, what has taken place here since we last spoke to him, uh, and that was uh, late in January. But you won't have to wait for the second segment uh, to hear from Dr. Henning because he is with me right now to provide an update on Novo Resources, which has seen its stock price decline considerably on unexpected news that the company is raising $22 million, $22 million Canadian dollars uh, for an expanded drill program and other procedures related to the startup of production at the company's Beaton Creek's, Beaton's Creek project uh, in Western Australia. Welcome, Dr. Henning, and thanks for joining me again today. Thank you, Jay. Thanks uh, for taking the time to allow me to, to talk to people. Well, I think it's very important because a lot of people listening to this show have uh, have followed your story for some time, and it did come a bit of a surprise. The last time we spoke to you on this show was February 23rd, one week after Novo announced that it had poured its first gold bar from Beaton's Creek. Uh, at, at the startup of that project, the startup production. At that time, it seemed startup production was going well, and the Nova was well cashed up. And so most of us were not expecting you would need to raise some more money at that time. And uh, on March 31st, you put out a preliminary economics assessment. Uh, it was, uh, I think they used a 5% discounted net present value that showed $318 million of uh, net present value there. So there was no reason un- until... Um, April 14th, no reason from my perspective and a lot of other people to expect that you would uh, have to raise some money. But explain to us the reasons for it and, um, uh, well, just just to explain why it was necessary to raise that $22 million at this point in time. Okay, look, uh, on, uh, I think it was about two weeks ago, we announced our PEA results. These were mm-hmm. results we put into a news release. And they, they indicate the project uh, does have robust economics and that uh, we can certainly make a good mine out of Beaton's Creek. Um, but there was uh, a series of recommendations that were made in the draft uh, of that report. Okay, that report was delivered to us. The first draft was delivered later in the week. I think it was Thursday uh, a week ago or so. And in that, it suggested, not it suggested, it really told us that we need to drill the entire footprint of the deposit, everywhere we plan to mine off at a minimum of 20 by 20 meter centers. Um, now, the reason is, is because this is a very nuggety deposit. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, you know, to, to mine this thing effectively, to understand where one goes mining, we have to have uh, the resolution needed to, to undertake that. Now, we are mining right now. Okay? We've uh, actually started digging rock, what, about two months ago, I believe now. And we've been in production now for uh, about eight or nine weeks. Mm-hmm. While we're off to a good start in many respects, like it's, uh, you know, it's like any ramp up. There's always things you have to work through at the beginning. Uh, we are working through uh, most of those without problem. Uh, but looking ahead with this information in hand, we have to start thinking about where's next year's rock and the next year's rock and so forth and so on. So. Uh, basically, this uh, recommended program to, to drill this thing out ad nauseum uh, told us we better get uh, on to this very quickly. There are certain things that we're looking at doing here very shortly, like, for example, 
permitting the sulfide. Uh, the sulfide, when I say that, or the fresh rock, however you want to put it, mm-hmm. is not refractory. Okay, so if people have that impression, they're, they're misguided. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is when you permit a mine, you, you permit uh, the, the different types of rock you have present. And different rocks behave differently. Okay, uh, when you get down into fresh rock, which has some pyrite in it, it, uh, it can p- be potential, potentially acid-forming. Uh, any mine on the planet has this issue, okay? Uh, we have to do like anybody else. We have to collect data uh, and submit that data to the mines department for approval just like anybody would. But we need to know where we're going to go mining, okay? So that's where the drilling comes in. Uh, there's no no issue with moving permits forward. There's no, uh, you know, nobody's uh, telling us we, we have to do this beforehand. But as prudence goes... Uh, we need to take these recommendations very seriously and drill this, start drilling this thing out ad nauseum. Okay, we have uh, things are are hopping right now in Australia. Uh, the iron ore price is up, the gold price is up. Everybody's working. Uh, it's a very very tight economy. When the commodity boom is on, we have uh, been working on securing lab capacity to help us with this. Um, we will be able to talk about that more. Mm-hmm. Here soon, we also have to secure drills. We have to secure people. We're actually building a prep facility at Beaton's Creek literally right this second. We've made mm-hmm. some very, very quick decisions to move very quickly to make sure that we can uh, start tackling this uh, greater drill out. People say, well, why didn't you do this uh, beforehand? We didn't have the money, okay? Uh, we, <laughs> To be frank, we, we put this project together um, with the cash we had, uh, it was one of three projects. We felt that the, the drilling that we've done to date is very good at, at establishing the, the existing resource we have. Mm-hmm. But now that we're going to mine, we have to have resolution. So this drilling upgrades our resource. It, it gives mm-hmm. us great clarity over a lot of areas that are inferred or even indicated. We're going to upgrade those to indicated and measured mm-hmm. resources. That also allows us to talk about those rock, that rock as uh, reserves at, at some point too. Okay, so these are these are very necessary things. There's benefits from this work. One is that we'll, we'll be able to start identifying areas of lower grade material around some of these reefs that we might be able to mine in bulk. In other words, mm-hmm. we might to mine selectively uh, all over the place. We might be able to mine some areas in bulk, which is a, mm-hmm. actually a very good outcome. Uh, we also have clarity now on how fast we can operate the mill. We've been operating the mill for about, uh, I think, nine weeks steady, something like that. And we are actually working, the, the, the tonnage is working upwards towards where Millennium left off. Okay, they were operating at 1.9 million ton per annum. And we're starting to get to that level. That's mm-hmm. a good outcome. But it also means we have excess capacity in the mill. Mm-hmm. Okay. That means we got to keep the thing full. So right now, you know, this drilling plus other um, information we're gathering about our mining technique and so forth is really going to give us the ability about how we best keep that mill full on an ongoing basis from this point forward. Mm-hmm. All right. So the bottom line from what I can discern here is that while you had to spend that extra money, it was something you were going to need to do anyway. There isn't any reason fundamentally to believe uh, that the need to raise that money indicates anything less than what your PEA suggested uh, you should be able to do. Yeah, look, you, you know, we we considered, well, maybe we defer some of this work. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we do this out of cash flow, but given the, the urgency around certain items, in particular, look, uh, we're going to mine through the oxide probably within 18 to 24 months. Uh, we got to have that, that permit in hand for the, the fresh rock, okay? We mm-hmm. have got to get that uh, in place, and that permit is due to be submitted in June, okay? Mm-hmm. So we are literally all hands on deck so that we can get, uh, you know, with great clarity, get uh, a handle on where we're going to go mining after we're through with the oxide fraction that we have. Um, you know, based on that, yeah, it'd be nice to do this out of cash flow, but we just couldn't take the, the chance of doing this, you know, pushing this off, say, six or nine months or something like that. Uh, you know, uh, that's just life. And unfortunately, you know, I, I think we unfortunately picked a bad day to go public or go, uh, how do you call it? Uh, to, to raise the capital. Right live with the raise uh but uh you know bugger you know that that's how we ended up we uh i was really hoping gold prices would take off like a rocket that morning and i could use that leverage to uh to get a, a better price but mm-hmm. um, gold fell i think 12 dollars as i was talking to various people <laughs> yeah there's nothing you can do about that um some people wondered if you might. You have this wonderful 15 million share investment in Newfound Gold, which just came out with spectacular assays this morning. It's worth about, I think you said, around $88 million right now. Some people wondered if you might not have sold some of those shares to raise this money. But you must really feel that Newfound uh, is an investment you want Novo to hang on to. Well, look, we took that investment as a strategic stake in what I think is one of the best discoveries in, in the world in recent mm-hmm. time. Okay, so, yes, there is reason. Uh, we did consider selling part of those shares, but the the challenge is, uh, firstly, there a lot most of those shares, I think, like eighty five percent are in escrow, and the second part is that. Uh, and by the way, the escrow escrow applies to the IPO process. Okay, all, all shareholdings prior to the IPO were escrowed. Okay, so we're one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing we we have a, co- a covenant over because of the Sprott Lending Facility, we have a covenant that, that does not allow us to sell. Uh huh. A large block of, of say equity like that without mm-hmm. the cash being swept into uh, the debt uh, mm-hmm. to pay off debt. So sure. you know, well, okay, I don't want to sell a bunch of shares just to pay debt off. We need yeah, cash, yeah. cash for doing this work. Yeah, understood. That that's uh, that's uh, that's understood. Uh, to what extent, if any, Quentin, might this impact your plans for Ejina and Caratha down the road? You know, this, we, this doesn't really impact it at all, does it? Look, we have uh, it, it. It we are using some of these proceeds to go ahead and start that work. Now, uh-huh. part of the the issue we're having right now is this lab capacity thing. Okay, uh-huh. it has absolutely been a headbang. Um, we need first and foremost to get our Beaton's Creek assays uh, through. Okay, that's top priority for us. There's no mincing that those words. Okay, we do have a plan in the works that we'll be able to talk about in about two or three weeks around how we're going to increase our assay capacity. Once we get that, if I sound like I'm hedging, it's because I want to make sure that we can pull off the programs at mm-hmm. both um, Karath and Edgina because mm-hmm. we do need data back. Okay, We need assays and so forth out of all that work that we're going to do. Sure. And I got to know for sure, Jay, that, mm-hmm. uh, that, that this strategy we have to get lab capacity is going to work, and I think it will. We've, mm-hmm. we've had uh, interesting... Uh, negotiations internally we're going ahead and building a prep facility at Beaton's Creek believe it or not we're taking in other words we're taking charge of our own destiny in the laboratory um, mm-hmm. so right. 
But we have right. to see a couple things to come together, and you know, once yeah. they do, I can talk about it. So that raise was in part to to cover all those things, not just that close, not yeah. just that close space drilling, but a lot of other things that you were going to need to, to yeah. do anyway. That's right. Uh, and so, and so, in terms of catalysts, I guess you just named some of them. We should be watching for some of those developments. Of course, we're going to be looking anxiously at at production figures as they emerge too. Correct. Yes, uh, we'll have an update here shortly. You know, part of doing this raise it means we we have to go through a review process with those participants who are taking place. We'll do that. We have to, and then we can announce to the market. We'll give them a full update of everything at site uh, within the next few days. Well, I can um, I, I can just say that I know some people have come back to me and said they think that this might be a great opportunity to pick up a few shares uh, at a much more advantageous price than it was a couple of weeks ago. So uh, I want to thank you very much, Quentin. Uh, thank you for updating us on Novo, and uh, you'll stick around after the break to uh, talk about another company, SK Mining, that you're involved with and have helped uh, advise. So. Uh, um, just let our listeners know that we'll be right back after the commercial break with Dr. Henning to talk about SK Mining. Don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Journey Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to tell you that Dr. Henning is back with me to provide an update on another very exciting exploration story, that being uh, SK Creek's project uh, in British Columbia. Uh, They are onto a precious metals-rich VMS deposit next door to SK Creek. Uh, The SK Creek VMS uh, mine, it's one of the richest uh, gold and silver mines in the history of Canada. Uh, a very exciting story, but uh, it looks like SK Mining may be on to, uh, to a lookalike. It trades uh, in Toronto. ESK is a symbol. You buy it down here under ESKYF, as I have. 160 million shares outstanding. $2.20 in Canadian money earlier today would give it a market cap for around $352 million or thereabouts. Uh, uh, might sound like a lot compared to some of the companies that we're following, but I think if you see uh, what the upside potential is here, you might think differently of that. Uh, thanks for joining me again, Quentin, to, uh, to give us an update on SK Mining. 
the last time you were on this show to talk about SK was uh, January 26th, so I'd like to ask you uh, to bring our listeners up to date. On February 2nd, 2021, SK Mining reported that it received assays for all 20 holes drilled in its maiden drill season, and the headline number was 9.5 grams per ton of gold and 70 grams per ton of silver over a 35.5 meter intersection. Needless to say, that's a very impressive intersection but could you give our listeners that's that's just one hole there's 20 holes in all is there a good continuity to these kind of numbers i wouldn't expect everyone to come in that high but uh, give our listeners a sense of continuity because continuity is usually very very important in uh, understanding the economics of a project certainly look uh let me just frame the the actual geology that we drilled uh we're Mm -hmm. chasing precious metal rich vulcanogenic massive sulfide deposits and as you said, SK Creek deposit, which is nearby, was the highest grade gold deposit on Earth for many, many years. Okay, it produced phenomenal grades. I think 46 gram per ton uh, gold head grade, and I think the silver was like 2.2 kilos of silver per ton. <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Okay. Um, okay. So what 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 we've drilled last year? Uh, the the 20 holes that we drilled at both the TV and Jeff targets uh, was the stock work. It's basically the feeder part of the system to some newly discovered VMS systems. Okay, so we we targeted this area uh, through our geophysics and some uh, surface work that the guys did at midsummer last year. We ran in very quickly uh, because the target was so compelling and started drilling. Uh, we got phenomenal results like the ones that you read. Now, uh, continuity, what what we, we did was basically poke holes into uh, these targets from uh, a couple of pads. Like we didn't have the luxury to build uh, umpteen pads, so we literally mm-hmm. just you know, reached out like in fan-shaped arrays and tried to drill off as much as we could. Uh, so as, in terms of continuity, no. Is the entire stock work high grade like that? No, but uh, there's a core uh, part of it that is. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, around it you see more like two or three, two to four gram. We'll call it. Uh, gold equivalent numbers are you know in the periphery around the stock. Mm-hmm. We think of it like a giant carrot that goes in the ground, and the core of the carrot is grading very high grade, like like you described, and then the stuff around it's still grading pretty well, like two to four mm-hmm. gram gold equivalent. That's what we would expect. Now, what's really exciting is uh, these both these targets are wide open. There's absolutely nothing that cuts them off. So that high grade interval that you read is open uh, as you go into the hill. It continues. So mm-hmm. we will running back in there and drilling some holes very quickly to, to follow up and evaluate how big that core high-grade area is. The other thing we're doing is start. we're going to start stepping up the hill because we want to find the place on the seafloor. You know, think of this like a, it's like a detective novel. Okay, we're trying to figure out where the, the fluids that were coming up through the ground back when this thing was a submarine deposit, mm-hmm. where they, they vented onto the seafloor because if we can find that, that's usually where your Escape Creek prize would reside. Okay, we want to find that that super high grade blanket like deposit up higher. And we think, uh, based on the work that John DeDecker and mm-hmm. Thomas Monarchy have done for us here recently, we think we have a very good handle on that. That's going to be the, the thing that really uh, gets uh, all of us fired up this summer is trying to find that exhalative component. Mm-hmm. Well, you, it's a massive project you've got. I mean, it's a huge land position, 526 square kilometers. I believe your efforts were on two targets, uh, the drilling and the fo- those 20 holes at the Jeff. Uh, what was it, the Jeff target? Uh, what, there was TV. two of the TV, yeah. right. Yep. They're, they're next to each other, and I think the last time we talked, you suggested they may actually be linked. It could be one link, but um, 
what, the other thing is that those were, and the last time we spoke, um, Kirkland Lake had a 20% interest in those. They've recently, uh, I guess, opted not to continue in the project. Is that right? And which means that you have 100% of this 500, the whole thing, the whole ball of wax, not 526 yeah. square kilometers, 100% now. Uh, and I think you're very happy about that. I am. Look, uh, we have 100% of what could be one of the best discoveries in the Golden Triangle in many, many years. So I'm, I'm absolutely delighted. Uh, you are correct. Uh, the area between TV and Jeff is highly prospective for continuations of mineralization. There's nothing that says these things aren't connected. We also see uh, other targets along strike. Basically, the entire anticline, the SK anticline, looks mm-hmm. Looks prospective for VMS. We we also put put out data sub, uh, subsequent to our last interview on the bleg results. We got stream sediment results. Uh, these are very sensitive samples that uh, give us a really good picture of what kind of prospectivity there is. And we've identified an absolutely whopping gold anomaly uh, <laughs> south of TV Jeff on the same trend, the same limb of the anticline. So mm-hmm. we think there's further potential to the south. Uh, we also found bleg anomalies up to the northeast in an area nobody even dreamed of looking at. It's an absolute screaming anomaly. Uh, we found some over uh, on the west side of the anticline. Like, long story short, we found many, many new targets through both our geophysical work and our geochemical work last year. We have, uh, we're going to test not just TV Jeff, but we're going to go out and drill some of these new targets. How are we going to develop them further? We've got a SkyTem survey starting momentarily okay the sky tem is how we identify the sulfide at tv jeff we think if we fly sky tem over the rest of our property and now that we have the money we can do this mm-hmm. uh we're going to find many many more targets especially in these areas where there are clear high concentrations of gold and silver and other metals coming out of the ground in our plague samples mm-hmm. um so, John Dedecker, Dr. Dedecker, is one of the foremost uh, experts, I believe, on VMS deposits. Isn't that right? He, well, he and Thomas, Thomas Monarchy is Mr. VMS. Okay, Thomas uh-huh. is in the School of Mines in Colorado. Uh, Thomas is German. Uh, he studied VMS deposit. He's basically the, we'll call it the next generation of VMS experts. A lot of the older guys have retired or passed on. Uh, Thomas was really Mr. VMS. He did his dissertation at uh, the SK Creek deposit, so he knows this area. Uh, uh, now, John DeDecker is an exploration geochemist. Okay, He's a very pragmatic, hands-on explorer. He studied under Thomas, so they, he basically has that you know, collective knowledge. Uh, but he's uh, very good in the field at you know, sorting out data, identifying target sets. That's how he's identified six horizons. Okay, Last week, we talked about the six horizons that he's discovered. It's absolutely remarkable, this w- the work that John's done. He's taken a, a story that, you know, quite frankly, has been overlooked and un- unappreciated, and he's now telling us, hey, there's six mineralized horizons, six perspective horizons in this unit, and there's also distribution across more or less the entire property for this style of mineralization. That's a good news story. Well, it looks like you're going to have a very busy drill program uh, this year uh, with about a minute left or so. Can you just give us uh, any idea of what that might look like? Yeah, it's very aggressive. Look, we raised uh, money last November. Two reasons for raising that money then. Uh, We had a reasonably good share price, but also 
we needed to secure our drills, helicopters, etc. Like the market's hot, okay? Mm-hmm. We wanted to make sure we could drill. So we got $15 million in the bank. Uh, we have ability to drill on the order of uh, 40,000 meters this year. Uh, we're going to go nuts, okay? We got four drills showing up on site soon, you know, like in the next month and a half or so. We're going to drill one drill at TV, one drill at, at Jeff, doing just, you know, methodical uh, infill and step-out holes. We're going to mm-hmm. do... I have one drill uh, go down to, to C10 and that new leg anomaly. We're going to have another drill over at Sivalulu. Like, we're literally going to just hit this super, super hard. A lot of this is weather dependent. You know, there is snow mm-hmm. up there right now. It might be that we put two rigs on TV or two rigs on Jeff or something initially. But, you know, ultimately, at the end of the, the summer, we hope to have uh, TV and Jeff fully or more fully fleshed out, but also new discoveries. Okay, we think we'll we'll probably find... Uh, several more of these precious metal-rich VMS by the end of this season. Very, very exciting time. Uh, real quickly, you did uh, invest in Garibaldi Resources. Is there anything more you can talk about with regard to what your strategy is there? Garibaldi, is, it's known for its copper and, sure, I don't yeah. know, I guess it's nickel. nickel. Uh, yeah, we're not, we're not focused on the copper-nickel story at all. Uh, what we recognize is that there are three anticlines, and the third anticline, which we call the Western Anticline, is uh, largely underneath uh, Garibaldi's ground land package. Okay, so we, we took this position. I talked to Eric Sprott. Uh, he agreed to do a share swap. Uh, it gave us a very meaningful stake, almost 20% in Garibaldi, and it gives us exposure to that third anticline where we think there's uh, good prospectivity. So it's that simple. It's simply a strategic investment. All right. All right. We'll have to leave it go with that. Thank you so much, Quentin, for bringing us up to date on this very exciting story and uh, we'll look to keep up with you in the future on this one and, and more that you're involved with. Thank you so much. Thank you, dear. All righty, folks, uh, we do have to go to break, but don't go away because John Rubino will be with us to help make some sense of the modern monetary theory, uh, make some sense of that. Many think nonsense, so don't go away. Um, we want John to help us understand how that might impact our, investor, our investments. So uh, we'll look forward to talking to John right after the break. Don't go away. America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSXV and GTBAF on the OTCQX, is a gold exploration company focused on their district scale Dixie project in the renowned Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having made multiple high-grade near-surface gold discoveries, GBR's capital efficiency has allowed them to be fully funded to complete a very active 300,000-meter drill program through 2021. Stay up to date on what's been considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last three years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me John Rubino once again. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with his website, you sure should be. It's dollarcollapse.com. Uh, he is the author of several books, John is. Uh, and many, well, several books, but the one I think that's probably most uh, germane apropos to the topics discussed on this show is the money bubble, what to do before it pops, and that was uh, co-authored with James Turk of uh, Gold Money. Uh, John is certainly a good friend. He's one of the nicest people I know. He is also one of the smartest and most articulate when it comes to explaining happenings on Wall Street. So, John, thank you so much for joining us again. Hey, Jay. Good to talk to you again. And as, all- as always, there's a lot to talk about. Well, there's too much, uh, and I and so I should. My wife reminds me. I should shut my pie hole and let my guests talk. So I'm going to try to do that. Uh, I've titled today's show America's Economic Decline and Rising Geopolitical Tensions. Uh, First of all, interest rate, I mean, uh, inflation definitely seems to be on the rise. Um, My inflation deflation watch keeps hitting new highs every week. Uh, What are your thoughts? Is, Is it a serious inflation problem we have, or can we trust the Fed, who gives us assurances that they'll never let inflation get out of hand? Well, we, we of course can't trust the Fed. We know that by now. They Basically, what their job is, uh, is to say words that make the stock market go up, <laughs> which is basically, you know, completely focus grouped. In other words, they, they yeah. have to do that because the system is too over indebted to tolerate uh, an equities bear market now. In mm-hmm. other words, if, if stocks tank, it's not just a uh, something that's um, confined to the stock market. It can blow up the whole economy. So their job is to keep the financial markets happy and optimistic. And so you can't uh, ever trust what they say because they have an agenda that is not related to the truth necessarily. Um, so the inflation deflation thing is really interesting right now because massive amounts of debt which we have taken on over the last 30 years are inherently deflationary. In other words, they because you've got to pay interest on that debt and you have to pay it back, it, it takes money away from what you would have used, been used otherwise for productive investment and growth. Uh, so it slows the economy down. Um, that's deflationary. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, all the new money that has to be created to keep that mountain of debt from turning into a uh, another Great Depression is inflationary. So we've got these two forces right now contending out there. And lately, the inflationary forces have been winning. The governments of the world have been creating so much new currency and uh, just dumping it into the system um, that all that new currency is forcing prices of a lot of things up. Uh, and whereas it used to just be stocks, bonds, and real estate that were going up, which makes it easier to fool us into thinking there's no inflation because those things don't appear in the consumer price index. The government doesn't count them as inflation, but lately other stuff has been going up like food, (laughs) you know, and, and lumber, the the price of a new house has gone way up because lumber has tripled. It's on its way to quadrupling now, apparently. And then iron ore and copper. So there's lots of other things that are, are getting more expensive, which do impact 
um, day-to-day life and the consumer price index. So this next year will be really interesting. When, when these numbers start coming out and they're above the Fed's 2% inter- or, um, inflation target, and, and meanwhile the Fed is saying, oh, it's just temporary, don't worry, we've got it under control, but then people are seeing their um, cost of living go up by 3 or 4 or 5 or 6% a year. And, mm-hmm. But it'll be interesting to see what market sentiment then turns into. When, mm-hmm. uh, when the Fed is contradicting what we see with our eyes every day, we'll see if we still trust them. Mm-hmm. Well, there seems to be almost nobody in Washington anymore. The Republicans used to be the, the party of prudence and, uh, you know, fiscal responsibility, at least, uh, at least to, a, to an extent. Other than two or three senators, there doesn't seem to be many around anymore that are very much opposed especially when they're president, when their party's in power in Washington. But even now, with the Biden uh, spending, which is just going nuts, uh, absolutely crazy. So there's this modern monetary theory. Uh, It seems as though there is the belief that you can always create endless amounts of money to finance things. Governments are uh, omnipotent, uh, omniscient. They have all those uh, characteristics that's uh, uh, ascribed to deity. What about modern monetary theory? And could you explain that to our listeners? And how does that differ from from QE that we had uh, after 2008? Well, modern monetary um, theory is the idea that this whole, oh, we'll borrow money and then we'll spend that money and then we'll pay interest on that debt that's out there doesn't really have to happen. Because all we have Mm -hmm. to do, if if, at least if you're a government with a printing press, all you Mm -hmm. have to do is just print the money. Mm-hmm. And spend it. And so their idea is that you know, we can so so simplify life by just having the government print as much money as it needs and spend it. Now, we don't have any taxes. We don't have any bonds out there. There's no debt from the government or anything. It's just mm-hmm. them borrowing it or um, creating it and spending it. But, of course, the, uh, the fatal flaw lies with the phrase, as much money as it needs, right? Mm-hmm. Because then we're, we're telling the government to go ahead and spend as much as it feels like it needs, which means infinite amounts, because there's always going to be a war to fight. There's always going to be election that has an election that has to be bought. There's always going to be infinite numbers of other things that a government could spend money on in order to buy votes. Uh, so you give them unlimited amounts of money, and they will spend unlimited amounts of money. And then supply and demand kicks in, and the value of each individual piece of that currency starts to fall, and the system collapses. Uh, But I should say that, you know, we're already most of the way there, because what we do now is the government borrows money and spends it Mm -hmm. uh, by issuing bonds, and the Fed then buys those bonds with newly created currency and holds them, and then rebates the interest on those bonds back to the government. So in effect, we're already doing modern monetary theory. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, I mean, it sounds like a new thing, but it's not really a new thing. It's just a ratification of what we're doing already. And remember, modern monetary theory was going to cause a, a disaster if we ever implement it. So the fact that we have kind of implemented it means we have that disaster um, heading our way pretty soon. Well, there's always been the economist that... Uh that have thought that that was the way out and that, uh, I mean, why, why can't it work forever? I mean, um, and, and I mean, Alistair McLeod has talked on this show about, uh, about the um, Mississippi bubble, John Law, and that whole thing, and he's really equated MMT to that. He, you know, obviously it didn't work. Eventually it didn't work, but let's try to think through this. Why, 
I mean, interest rates should be rising now if, if inflation is rising, right? Yeah, well, they, they have been rising. Um, the 10-year yield, yeah. Yeah. the 10-year treasury is up from 0.7% to 1.5-something percent now, and it was as high as 1.7%. So that was a yeah. you know 100 basis point increase in a mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the markets were responding to um, the perception of higher inflation. So the mm-hmm. question going forward is, will inflation continue to rise? And will the markets respond as they logically ought to by demanding a higher interest rate? And that, mm-hmm. you know, remains to be seen, but I think there's a pretty good chance that that's the way it plays out. All right. So if the market wants more, I mean, first of all, if if all the treasuries are being purchased by the government or by the Fed, I mean, financed by the Fed, uh, why would interest rates have to go up? It's no longer a free market. It's not, a, it's not really a market. It's 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 managed by the government, right? Well, there, there's still a lot of lending going on out there. Even if we just eliminate the government bond market, there's still business loans and personal loans mm-hmm. and, and other things like that. So people are lending money mm-hmm. for which they expect a positive real return. In other words, they want to make money above the inflation rate. So if the inflation rate starts to rise because governments are creating way too much new currency which is to say if the value of those currencies start to fall, same that's mm-hmm. what inflation is, then people lending that lending money out there, whether they're lending it to you or me or IBM or GM or whoever, uh, they're going to want a rate of return on their lending that exceeds the inflation rate. And if the mm-hmm. inflation rate goes up, lenders are going to want a higher interest rate. So that's how interest rates go up. That's the mechanism when, when they rise um, um, due to inflation. Mm-hmm. And if we went full MMT mm-hmm. and inflation would inevitably start increasing dramatically then, then interest rates would have to go up um, to compensate. Now, one thing the Fed could do is just buy up all the debt that's out there in the system, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Push down interest rates that way by mm-hmm. buying up everybody's bonds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then that would mean even more money is being dumped into the system, which would accelerate inflation, which mm-hmm. means that any lending that did fu- take place out there would still have to be at a higher interest rate. So that's not a fix. you know. Having the mm-hmm. government just force interest rates down basically just shifts the pressure to a different part of the economy, but it's still, you know, the pressure of oversupply. Somehow it mm-hmm. has to break out. Uh, and that's what, you know, that's what we're inevitably going to get because we've already done the damage. Now it's just a question of how does that damage manifest in the financial world? And so it could be a crashing currency or soaring interest rates or, or tanking stocks or soaring stocks, you know, it could be the crack up boom where the price of everything just goes through the roof. We don't know, but we know it will be chaotic because it always has been in human history. Uh, Companies or or countries have done this um, dozens, if not hundreds of times in the past, in other words, made these same mistakes. Mm -hmm. And it always ends up in some kind of a really chaotic um, hyperinflation or deflationary crash. One of those two things happens every time. So there's no reason to think this will be a different time. But the ignorance of free market economics, they don't teach it in our schools. Uh, We're supposed to be a capitalist country, but if you talk to people in the streets, they haven't a clue about how even simple things like supply and demand curves and how people respond to that. It seems as though these problems which are brought on by government intervention beget more dislocations which then invites even more government intervention, 
And ultimately, I mean, I hear what you're saying about the interest rates and why lenders will require higher rates as the inflation rate as their currency uh, loses its purchasing power. But then, uh, you know, in steps government to fix things because people holler and scream about higher interest rates. And so, you know, where does this thing end? It just, it, it, and what I'm trying to say is they don't allow the market to adjust. And the further we go with this, the further we go with the intervention, the the further we are away from a return to some sort of a of the economy that is productive and wealth creating. Yeah. So does and, and you mentioned a crack up boom. Maybe just define that term for people. Uh, that is an Austrian school idea. Crack up boom. It, are we seeing a crack up boom? I mean, my inflation deflation is uh, index is going straight up now, pretty much. But it includes both commodities and stocks and basically everything. So what is a, a crack-up boom is when things just go absolutely nuts, like the tulip mania, I suppose, would be a, an example? Well, yeah, a, a crack-up boom is where a, um, a critical mass of people figure out that it's the government's explicit policy to make the currency worth less year after year. And they just bail on the currency. They don't want to hold something that's depreciating mm-hmm. at an accelerating rate. So what they do is they buy real stuff. They look around and think, okay, what, what can the government not just make more of out of thin air? Yeah. Well, farmland and oil wells and gold and silver and rental houses. People start buying those things. Mm-hmm which forces the prices of those things just through the roof. So you see, mm-hmm. you know, it manifests as inflation, soaring mm-hmm. prices, but what's actually happening is a loss of faith in the currency. People are just giving up on that currency, and then the system breaks down because a, a government with a, without a currency that anybody trusts can't function as a government anymore. And, mm-hmm. and so then you get um, a huge bust, usually... Mm-hmm. Um, preceded by a big inflation, then then a huge bust, and you know that's again that's not some mystical magical thing that um, needs uh, some kind of a, a metaphysics to to be believed in. This is just what happens over and over again. If you um, Google hyperinflation or list of hyperinflations, that's the thing you want to Google. You will get mm-hmm. this long list of country names with big numbers beside them, which is the um, the amount that their their currency was depreciated by you know four hundred and twenty thousand percent or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, and it's a long list and it's a lot of countries that we've heard of and everything and and those are just the mistakes that countries have made in the past which blew up their currencies, and we're basically doing the same thing. So, um, yeah, uh, we don't really have free markets anymore in the sense that free markets require good information on the part of of the players, um, and price discovery. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can tell what, what something is worth because the market is sending you signals that tell you to buy more of it or to produce more of it or whatever. Uh, we've killed that price signaling mechanism by manipulating markets. You know, we pushed interest rates down to un- unnatural levels and created huge amounts of new currency and, uh, and intervened in markets when markets should have been able to have crashes in order to wipe out the bad mm-hmm. business models and the uh, un- unmanageable debt to get back to some kind of normality. Well, we've stopped all that. So the markets mm-hmm. don't work anymore. Um, so we're not really a capitalist system, which we, means, see, capitalist systems are very flexible. They respond to changes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with positive actions, which maintain more or less equilibrium. There, if there's one market in which price discovery is most important, it's the price discovery of capital. I mean, how can we have capitalism if you're not allowed to know what the cost of capital is, which is exactly what the Fed is doing. It's interfering with the cost of capital. 
you would agree with that. Oh, yeah, yeah, because the, um, for instance, the, the interest rate, which mm-hmm. um, yeah. is what you have to pay to borrow, that tells you something if you're an entrepreneur. If money is very cheap, it tells you borrow and build a big factory, build a productive asset. If money is very expensive, in other words, if interest rates are really high, that tells you, you know, don't borrow right now, just operate with what you've got or even cut back some. And, and that allows the system to adjust to changing environments um, and continue to, um, to be productive and to increase its productivity. But if you push interest rates down below a natural level, you know, in other words, artificially low, then entrepreneurs don't know what to do. You know, you're kind of telling them to borrow a ton of money, but they're, they can't find anything productive to do with it, so they do less productive things, or they do really frivolous things. Same thing with individuals, you know. If, mm-hmm. if um, mortgage rates go down to 2%, then that's telling you to buy a house, right? whether you uh, can really afford a house or not, whether you should have a big house, but it, it tells you to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and when those signals are coming out that are telling us to borrow money, but use, use that money for unproductive purposes, mm-hmm. that's the end point in the Austrian economic um, business cycle. That's when they call that the, uh, the Ponzi stage of the process. Mm-hmm. When money is being borrowed just to pay the interest on previous borrowings and to do frivolous, silly stuff, you know, big vacations, um, hot cars, huge houses. And that's where we are now as a society. We're, we're borrowing to spend money on things that mostly don't increase the productivity of society because interest rates are telling us to do that, you know, and uh, that's, that's the thing that will eventually blow us up, you know, where we're um, creating so much bad debt that at some point, even the government won't be able to bail us out of all this bad debt. And we'll realize that, uh, uh, that the game is over because even the guys in charge don't have any tools left to fix this. John, with, uh, with all of this money creation, what we've seen is a redistribution of wealth from the middle class to the wealthy to the really super rich. Uh, some statistics I just came across said the five largest banks in the U.S. Uh, there's something like 2.5 trillion dollars more in loan in um, uh, there's 2.5 trillion dollars more in deposits than in loans being made. Uh, this is since 2008. So we have this huge gap. Money stays in the financial system and is used. Uh, deposits, uh, I, I suppose, into, in treasuries and so forth, but it fuels the financial markets. The money isn't being lent out. I mean, it's it's a real problem. Uh, so the real economy doesn't see the uh, the stimulus that's coming through the monetary system. Uh, and the author of this of this article I was reading is suggesting that that could change pretty soon, and that if uh, he, he's sort of tying this idea that. If there was tapering to quantitative easing, that is, if the, if the Fed started getting a bit more stingy, that that would cause the banks to start to lend more. Do you do you see any prospect of that? Well, the banks have plenty of money to lend if they yes. if they want to, but the the problem is uh, we've kind these of rates. yeah. And what we divided society into basically two groups here. One one group is the uh, the very rich and the people who work online, and and they've done really well during the pandemic. And, and during the previous 20 years. Uh, 
but they don't need to borrow any more money. They're, they're making money hand over fist. So they're not great customers for the bank because, yes, they'll borrow money, but only at insanely low rates. Like they'll borrow money for 0%, but that doesn't help a bank. And then the rest of the, the country, you know, small businesses, like if you're a restaurant owner or something like that, are you a good credit for a bank to lend to? No, mm-hmm. no bank wants to lend to you because they, they, we might go back into lockdown and your, your yep. restaurant will fail again. So, so banks don't really have a lot of people to lend money to. Which is, you know, that's part of the um, the impact of artificially low interest rates. It, it stratifies society into a small group of haves and a gigantic group of have-nots. And yep. nowhere in there is a bunch of people who, uh, who are good for banks to lend money to, right? Because uh, you want somebody who can pay you back and who can afford a pretty high interest rate and is willing to pay it. All there right. aren't very many people like that anymore. No, John, and we're just about out of time here, so I want to get on to a couple of other ideas yet if it's time. Uh, the, the, so we have this disparity of wealth, and we have, it seems like, growing discontent in America. Uh, lots of people living under bridges, homeless. Uh, it's really a mess in many ways. Uh, can that have some impact, though? A lot of times countries that have troubles at home decide to get involved in things overseas. Are you concerned at all about potential issues with with China and with Russia, for example, Russia and the Ukraine and, and China over Taiwan? Yeah, today's geopolitics fit that script really well. When, when you screw up your domestic system, either financially or, or some other way, one of the temptations is to look abroad for an enemy, mm-hmm. uh, start something with them, and distract your people from your own mismanagement. So mm-hmm. as, as much as we've mismanaged our domestic economies around the world, you might expect for uh, you know different countries to be bumping up against each other out there and kind of picking fights. As a, as a way of distract, distracting their own people. And you're seeing it everywhere now. You know, we're virtually in, in shooting wars with Russia and China right now. Like, we're right there, you know, close mm-hmm. to it happening. And, and the Middle East, of course, is always a, a powder keg. And we're stirring things up over there, too, you know, in Afghanistan and Syria and Iran. So, yeah, um, we're behaving in ways that would be kind of expected given our domestic financial situations. But, but this is a, so much more of a dangerous world. You know, you can't play these games without immense risk in today's world with everybody having nuclear weapons and all kinds of other weapons. You know, we, we can do cyber attacks now and chemical weapon attacks and EMP attacks. And, you know, there, there's just so much that, uh, that can happen in a shooting war that has never happened before. So we have no idea how this is going to play out. And we have to pray that all they're doing is just saber rattling. And they understand that uh, if push comes to shove, they're going to back off. But you never know with these guys, you know. Well, look, yeah. at the history, look at World War One. That is a terrible yeah, exactly. well, of what might come. All right, John, we're just we're just about out of time here. We're going to have to leave it go at that, I'm afraid. But uh, certainly um, wars mean more more money printing. Um I think there's no no uh, no nowhere to go to start with uh, financially than to start with gold and silver and uh, gold and silver shares I guess real quickly at 20 seconds Oh, you totally want to have precious metals in every possible form in this kind of an environment physical gold and silver at home mining shares um, to replace your tech stocks absolutely all right we'll have to leave it go with that John uh, thank you so much for being with us again. Thanks, and uh, we'll, do, we'll look to do it again sometime real soon. Well, next week, folks, Alistair McLeod will join me to explain why he thinks the world is inevitably destined to return to a gold and or silver-backed monetary system. And that means for the kind of investments 
we'll ask him what that means for the kind of investments you might want to look at. I think John just sort of answered that question. Uh, also, we're going to have an executive from Firefox Mining Corp that seems to be on to a grand new high-grade discovery, another Quentin Henning-related company. Uh, and also Michael Oliver will be with us uh, next week as well. So until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 